can stand up all over the, the house. John chapter 20. When you got John 20, shout, I got it. Run down to verse 30. And we'll read verse 30 and 31 together. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Somebody shout, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. If I had a subtext, I would call it managing your life in between the Passover and the Pentecost of your life. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless you and I thank you and I honor you, God. And I pray that over the next few moments you would send an anointing that makes teaching and preaching the gospel simple. And, Father, I pray that you would allow us to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying above and beyond and in spite of be God and God I pray that there's a celebration in the heart of the believer that says yes I pray that there's a heart a celebration in the heart of the believer that transforms father and I pray that it's not just in this moment of service but in the moment of our lives that we express that you have done something miraculous through us and God I give you the praise for it now I give you the in the name of Jesus that we pray. Somebody shout amen. Smile at somebody on your way to your seat. Tell them it's just church. It's okay. It's just church. It's just, it's just, it's just church. So much takes place in the scripture and in the Bible that is not recorded that if you're not careful, you'll think that the only thing that Jesus did were, were the things that were recorded. The book of John is very clear to help us understand that there were many, many, many things. And if you go in the book of Acts, Luke also helps us understand that there are many things that Jesus did, said, performed that were not recorded and that would not be recorded. In fact, Luke said that if I tried to write it, I'd be writing almost into eternity to try to write how many amazing things that Christ has done and said. So what we get from the scripture is simply a glimpse of the way that Christ operated while he was in the earth. And the Bible says that it's enough for us. It's enough. We don't have it all, but it's enough. And that's perhaps at the linchpin of where we're going in our message today is that I want to talk to some people that don't have enough. I want to speak to folks that don't have enough, that don't have it all that don't have what it takes, that doesn't have the money it takes, that doesn't have the resources it takes. I want to talk to people that have a dream but don't have enough. Am I talking to anybody in this house? People that have a goal but don't have enough. People that have a call from God but you know that if you're honest with yourself, you don't have, a, you don't have it all. And this is what the writer helps us understand about God is that even though I don't have it all, I can have enough to do what God told me to do. 
the scripture said that we have enough about the Bible that will help us in our areas pertaining to the scripture says life and godliness. So while we don't have all of the stories of Jesus Christ and all the miracles of Jesus Christ and every great word that the Savior said, we still got enough to live righteous and to live godly. So not having it is not an excuse for not doing it. Not having it all is not an excuse for not doing it all. And, and this is critical for us to, to maintain and to hold on to, especially for those of us that believe still that God's not finished with us. Now, if you think God's done with you, I ain't preaching to you. But if you're saying that I still got my best days are still in front of me and not behind me, if you, if you still got a flicker of fire that's not going out in your soul, then this message is for you. Because there's always a portion of life that has to be lived between the extremes of when you start and the adulation of when you finish. There are two times primarily that the camera is on a person in this race, at the very beginning and then at the very end. We're at the very beginning because in the beginning there is anticipation for what is going to happen. And at the very end because the result is evident of what has happened. But the issue about races is that uh, you don't spend most of your time at the beginning or the end. Most of your time is spent in the middle of the race. And you have to figure out how you manage your life and manage your body and manage your, your training, not for the sake of the beginning or the end, but for the sake of everything that takes place in the middle. Everything you're going through in your life is not for, your, for when you started and it's not for when you get to that place that God has promised you. It's for the life you have to live in between then. Am I talking to anybody? It's critical that, uh, uh, that, that, that Passover, which ended yesterday, Passover, the day, the time that Christ uh, was sacrificed. It was the season of the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over your house. This Passover is when Jesus was crucified. The next major promise that God gave the children of Israel was not just, was after the resurrection of Christ, the next promise God gave them was the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the children were, who were now waiting on this next promise while God was still, while they were still trying to deal with the residue of the start of this new thing called the church that had begun when Christ died on the cross and would culminate when the Holy Spirit fell. So, what, so if I chronologically put this in order for you, the children would spend three years, the 12 would spend three years with Jesus in preparation to start a race. And the race starts when Jesus dies and raises himself up from the grave. The next marker that they are waiting for in this journey is the marker of the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But there's quite a bit of things that took place between the resurrection and between Acts chapter 2 that many times we don't like to discuss and don't discuss because there's not a ton of information put. And sometimes we feel that because there's not enough, it can't complete the thought or the sentence of our lives. 
And this is why we don't deal with the road to Emmaus. And we don't like to deal with the idea of Jesus moving into the room with his 12 disciples after Peter had seen him twice but not speaking while he was in the room. We don't like to deal with the idea, excuse me, we don't like to deal with the ideas that over 12 times, uh, excuse me, the scripture says over 500 times Jesus showed himself to people that had been following him. He was physically in space on earth and he had shown himself. We just preach after he raises up from the dead and then we start talking about Pentecost. But we never deal with anything in between. But let me tell you something. If all you do is fixate your life on what you're fixing to do, and all you do is start to celebrate what you have not already done, you're going to miss a whole lot of your life in between. Somebody shout in between. The challenge with life is not how to get started and not how to end. Everybody knows how to end. Everybody knows how to get started. If once you get started, sometimes getting started is an issue, but once you get started, you're you're usually fine. And everybody knows how to end, whether it's with hands up in victory or with tears in defeat. It's in the middle where we struggle the most. It's in the middle where we have our most consternation. It's in between the Passover and Pentecost of our lives that we find ourselves finding out about ourselves. And I want to spend a few moments talking to you about three moments in Scripture that took place in between time. Three moments of Scripture that didn't take place before the cross, that didn't take place at the cross, didn't take place immediately following the cross, but took place somewhere in about a 40-day span to a month span after Jesus was risen, after Jesus had shown himself, and after the, the power of the Holy Spirit fell. Because in between is where we spend most of our life. Ask your neighbor, can you deal with life in the middle? I said, ask your neighbor, can you deal with life in the middle? Life in the middle, life in the middle. The way that the brain works is uh, the brain is an interesting mechanism. It's an interesting instrument that God gave us. And while it is very difficult for us to, uh, to, to work on and to fix, it is actually not a very complicated instrument. The way that the brain works and what the brain is asked to do is the brain is asked to continue to make life make sense for you. That's the primary job of the brain. The brain takes in information and the brain tries to make life make sense. And when the brain is operating, when there is a functional brain that is moving, it generally can take bits and pieces and bits and pieces and fill in the gaps in bits and pieces and it can make a complete sentence. That is why the majority of human beings oftentimes understand life in a narrative perspective, in storytelling. Most of us get stories because stories carry a rhythmic pattern that our brains grab to even better than they grab into numbers. If you're a person that says, well, pastor, I do numbers better than I do words, understand this, is that the rhythmic pattern of telling a story is oftentimes expressed in numbers. That's why we put letters in numbers when you start to advance. Because the brain understands and the brain wants to comprehend a story being told. So all of our math are systems. They're just stories that are being told over and over and over. And as long as you follow the story, you'll come to a a logical conclusion. Such is the same in narrative. When we talk, the brain wants to have a beginning and it wants to have an end. And a brain needs to make sense of everything that is in the middle. 
And if it can take instances, it can minimize the spaces by which it has to make decisions that are not verified by real actions. But if by chance your life is as such where you have spotty spaces and large gaps between events that matter and events that you understand, your brain is so brilliant it will make up stuff. That's the difference between what has happened and what is all for the sake of making it make sense to you. That's why we need information. Somebody shout information. That's why information is so important because information becomes the words of the sentence of your life that helps the brain make sense of what's going on. Information, the more information I have, the more I don't have to guess. The more information I have, <clears throat> the more I don't have to come to conclusions on my own. But understand this, is that you will come to your own conclusions if you don't have information. This is why Jesus says over 150 times in the Bible to ask, ask, and you shall receive. Ask, and it shall be done for you. Ask, and you will get wisdom. Why do you want me to ask so much, God? Because I don't want you filling in the gaps for something that I could give you information about that could ease your anxiety. One of the reasons why we worry so much is because we don't have information. We've got situation and situation, and there's consternation instead of information between the two. And God is not into worry, not when he says that I'm willing to give you answers, not when he says that I'm willing to supply you with the peace until an answer comes. So information becomes important to the brain. So the brain is always trying to look for a way to complete the sentence. But if there is a gap or a lapse in moments and seasons, we make it up, even if it's not true. We'll make it up, even if it doesn't really fit the narrative. We'll just make it up. Has anybody in your life ever made up something or came to a conclusion where you're like, how in the world did you get to that conclusion? I, I know you think that they're crazy, but they're really not crazy. They just didn't have enough information, and they made it make sense to them based off of the limited information that they had in between. In between. And the brain, what it, does, what it primarily does, one of the ways that the brain starts to work the information that it gives is it works it through categories. Somebody shout categories. Categories are simple groupings. It's just a grouping. The brain easily um, automatically starts to work in the most familiar groupings that, 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 uh, that, that you are used to putting it in. When you walk into a room, the way that my life would work, if I walked into a room and I didn't know a whole bunch of people in the room, the first thing that I will have already grouped the room by ethnicity. I will look in the room and I will find and see how many Americans are in the room. That's number one. My next set of grouping is that I would probably be looking for an African-American American. That's my second. The third set of grouping is I'm more, I'm more likened to being around males than females, so I'll be looking for where the brothers are in the room. Room, the guys, brothers in the room. Those are the groupings in which I categorize my, my world in. Most of us, almost every human being operates with categories and groupings in order to make life make sense for them because nobody wants to walk in the room and be in a space where they're unfamiliar with context that they cannot grab from because it forces you to have too many gaps in the sentence of your understanding. So we find who we're comfortable and we get around them. We 
refine what we understand and we lock ourselves into them. The psychologists say that groupings, according to category, are not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's when those categories turn into stereotypes. And a stereotype is different from a category because a category is just a grouping and a stereotype is the simplest overarching assumptions that you make about that category. I have decided in this room that this side is more spiritual than that side. I have decided in this room that I'm more comfortable on this side because all of us are artistic, all of us got cachet, all of us have stand on the stage, and everybody in this section is more like me. And there is nothing wrong with me saying that I want to kind of do my world with people that are like me. Where I get my problem is when I say that, that every, the reason why I'm here is because everybody over here is A, B, C, and D. Everybody over here carries a stereotype. It is an overarching, broad assumption of the things, watch this, that I don't have information about. I make, a, I make assumptions about your journey, assumptions about your spirituality, assumptions about what you would do if you moved in our neighborhood, what you would do if you came to my school, what you would do if you moved into my country. We come with all these stereotypes, and the third level of grouping is biases. The, then we start to become biased, which is to exact or manage our own protection against the ones we have stereotypes against to protect our way of life. I'm talking, and y'all are not shouting amen. What, what a bias now is, is that I am afraid, according to the stereotype, about what you are going to do if you moved in my neighborhood. So my bias causes me to go to the banks and make sure that the banks redline everybody that looks like you because we have made the decision that if you go to school with us, then some kind of way a negative thing is going to happen to what we are trying to protect. Now, that sounds horrible at the onset. The problem with that is that that is the process that almost every person in this room takes as it relates to things and people that we don't understand. We come up with ideas. We come up with things to say. We come up with stereotypes to place on a group of people. We come up with these thought processes to put. And God forbid somebody outside of the group shows up in a space where they are not with the group and you have to deal with them as an individual. And the real challenge with messing with the brain is that oftentimes the people that you have stereotyped very rarely meet the stereotype you placed on them. I wish I was preaching to somebody in here. They very rarely meet the stereotype that they, they very rarely are the person you've made them to be in your head. They very rarely are the individual that you have forced them to become in your head. They very rarely perform the negative activities you thought they would perform in your head. And now your mind has to write a new sentence about what your mind has been practicing for for decades. Have you ever sang a song wrong? 
Have you ever sang a song wrong for decades? I mean, just sang a song wrong. Have you ever sang? I mean, I, I'll be honest. Anybody ever sang a song wrong? You know, and you just rocked it and it was wrong. And then somebody be like, that, those aren't the words. It's the rocket's red glare. You know, it's like that's not the way the words go. And you, and, and, but, but you are so committed to the wrong words because, watch this, because in many cases you've created a new rhythm for the song in order to fit your narrative into the song when that's not the way. We do the same thing in rhythm life. We do the same thing in real life. We will obstruct the rhythm of a marriage or obstruct the rhythm of a friendship or obstruct the rhythm of a service or obstruct the rhythm of a church all to try to make it fit in our narrative of understanding that this is the way God moves. Y'all, okay, all right, okay, okay, okay. Hey. And, and these are the dynamic challenges that we have to deal with when we're on our way from the resurrection to Pentecost, from Passover to Pentecost, is that the biggest challenge from Passover to Pentecost is not the journey, it's what's going on in your mind while you're on the journey. And I've come to this understanding that if I can get my mind under control, then I can get my environment under control. And if I can get my environment under control, then I can give God what is due his in an environment that he honors. But it doesn't start in a two and a four clap. And it doesn't start in a fast song or a slow song. And it doesn't start because the preacher is preaching. It starts when a person has made up in their mind that I am not going to fill in the gaps I am going to get the information about my life from the word of God and what God says about my life, it shall be. Is there anybody that need a word from the Lord in here? Shout, I need a word. Because life will tell you about yourself and somebody that don't like you will tell you about yourself and a parent that don't understand you will tell you about yourself and a teacher that doesn't know your bandwidth will tell you about yourself. And if you're not careful, you'll believe the lies of what they're telling you about you and you will end up a product of their liking and not a product of what God has spoken over your life. But it doesn't start with them. It now starts in your mind. Somebody shout in my mind. So the writer says, renew your mind. He said, you got to scrub that thing. You got to scrub that thing. The first place where, where, where I want to take us is I want to take us on the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus in the book of Luke is an interesting place because it is in Emmaus where perhaps is the most vivid expression of this idea of our minds taking over and not allowing God to do anything that God wants to do in our lives because we are so committed to the space that our minds have taken us to. And the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that they were walking from Jerusalem, from Emmaus uh, to, to Jerusalem. And that's about a seven-mile walk. And Jesus had been resurrected now. And while he's in his resurrected form, he has decided that he's going to go and be amongst the people. And the Bible said that Jesus just started walking amongst the people. But he could feel that there was a little mourning in the people. And he started to inquire, what's the matter? And they said to Jesus, where have you been? You didn't hear that Jesus? 
Jesus died and the, our, the Savior was crucified and now they can't find his body? And the Bible says that Jesus just kept walking with him, head down, cloak over his head, walking with them throughout the, through the journey. And Jesus was just talking to them, tell me about this guy. Really? Yes, he was, he was a Savior for three years. He sat with us and he stood with us and he walked with us. Did he really walk with you? Really? What did he teach you? Oh, he taught us some things. And the Bible says that Jesus began to expound on Scripture with them about the So now in the conversation, at first they were telling them about Jesus, and now Jesus is telling, him, telling them about himself. And this is the way this conversation is happening. And the Bible says that after a few minutes, Jesus said, well, I got to keep on going. And they were getting ready to relax because the sun had come down. They begged him and said, would you stay with us? Come on and stay at the house. No use of you walking all night. You might as well stay with us tonight and relax. And Jesus rejected and said, no, I got to keep on going. I, I, I'll, I'll catch you. The Bible said that they entreated him to stay with them a little while longer. And the Bible said that in that moment, Jesus literally just evaporates and disappears out of their presence. And their eyes became wide open. And they looked at each other and they say, did our hearts not burn when he spoke and when he opened up the bread of life? I want you to hear what they are saying. They are saying that, man, I realize, boy, it felt like Jesus when he was talking. It felt like Jesus when his presence was with us. He was burning me deeply in my spirit when he was around us. He was actually inspiring just like I remember Jesus being inspired watch this but the problem was they were experiencing Jesus and nothing in their mind said this might be Jesus why because they had been committed to the narrative that somebody has stolen his body they had been committed to the narrative that he could not be in front of me right now because somebody's got him he could not be right here it burns my heart I feel like he feels he talks the way Jesus talks, but this can't be him why because I'm committed to the lie that he's somewhere and love how many lies have you committed yourself to I wonder how many but I wish I had some help in here you've got they had the helper right next to them but could not get any help from him because they were committed that the helper couldn't help him because he wasn't there I wonder how many people in your life could be a help to you but you have categorized them in one of those groupings and now they can't be helped because you are committed to them being who they are not God I'm I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. That child that you are committed ain't gonna ever be nothing. Could be something if you believe again. That husband you are committed can't ever change. Could change if you pour into him again. That wife that you think is gonna stay naggy could be different if you could believe a different narrative about their lives. Oh, I wish I was preaching a song. Am I talking to anybody in here? The mind is powerful. The mind is powerful. The mind is powerful. The mind is powerful. Oh, I can't grow my group. I can't grow my church. I can't grow my. Are you sure you can't? Or are you committed to that they can't grow? 
God, I'm, I, 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 ain't nothing going to change in my house. Ain't nothing going to change. Are you sure nothing can change in your house? Or are you committed that nothing can change in your house? And once you make up your mind that something can't happen, it's going to be just as you said. Because it's not about what you say. It's about what your heart has committed to. And if you have committed to it can't be, then guess what, bro? It's not going to be. Woo. God. And the spirit, somebody shout the spirit. The spirit is not obligated to what you say. The spirit is obligated to what you choose to believe. And oftentimes what we say is not what we believe. We say what's going to make people happy, but we believe something else. And I believe that everything that's happening in our lives right now, we either have bought into as a belief system or we're fighting it with a counter belief system. That's why God had to ask them, whose report are you going to Not whose report are you going to sing, not whose report are you going to write in your journal, not whose report are you going to dance and shout to, but whose report are you going to commit to believing? Whose report? Either I can heal you or I can't heal you. you got to believe that. Either I'll set you free or you won't ever be set free. You've got to believe that. Either I can make you whole or you'll never be whole. You have to believe that. Either I can touch you or you'll never be touched. You've got to believe that. I don't care if that you say it. I don't care that you dance over it. I don't care that you touch and agree with somebody about it. The issue has never been... And you touch and agree and be saved. But the deal is if you confess with your mouth and believe. Somebody shout Emmaus. Emmaus is the place where they have to confront all of the missing gaps in their thinking. And this is where the way that they have grouped themselves and Christ is an enemy. And they are committed to their false narratives of stereotypes and committed to the false narratives of who they could be. And they are committed, and everybody in this room is committed to something that's not serving what God is trying to do in your life. I'm going to say that again until y'all say amen. Every one of us in here is committed to something in our lives that is not serving our life. Well, Pastor, I don't want to be committed to it. How do I let it go? Sometimes you just got to let the spirit of the Holy Ghost start to work on your mind and on your thinking. And you've got to open up your heart and your mind and speak against what you're speaking. Sometimes we don't think about what we're thinking about. And we just operate in what we're thinking about and wonder why I'm always not lying over here and why everybody hates on me over there and why I'm always maybe listen if it smells like cabbage everywhere you go maybe it's just you from the prophet Martin how many of y'all old enough y'all yes, you got amen the second place the second place is this helping anybody the second place they stop off at, I want you to keep in, in mind, somebody shout discern. I want you to put that in your notes when you talk about Emmaus, is that you'll never get to your Pentecost if you cannot discern that you're in a season and an opportunity for God to bless your life. If you're committed to what you've always been believing, you'll never discern that help is right next to you. I'm going to say that again. Help is right next to you. Would you believe me if I told you everything that you need lives in your house. Would you believe me? I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say, would you believe if I told you everything this church needs is in this room right now? 
Would you believe if I told you everything the city needs is always already living in the boundaries of San Diego, California? That we don't necessarily, and you don't necessarily have to go outside of your house, outside of your church, outside of your city in order for you to perform what God said. The Bible says that John, John is saying, look, I don't have all the information, but I still have enough. And you might not have the perfect this or the perfect that, but you still have enough to do what God told you to do. The second place they stopped off in, I want you to write this place down. Excuse me. The second place is in Acts chapter 1. The second thing that they did in the journey along the way is, is they had to pick a 12th disciple. And they had to pick a 12th disciple because the scripture said that there would be numbered among the 12. Somebody shout 12. And, of course, you understand the story that Judas was one of the 12. And Judas goes to, the, to, uh, to betray Jesus. After he betrays Jesus, the Bible says that Judas goes and he jives over into uh, a, a, some kind of gallow pit. And he either breaks his neck or he hangs himself, one of the two. But he does, in some form or fashion, commit suicide. And Judas is now gone. So now there is 11 instead of 12. The Bible says that the guys got together. And they began to say, talk to one another. And they started opening up the scriptures, and the scriptures said that there would be number 12. The Bible says that Peter stood up and told them that, hey, there's supposed to be 12 of us. Pentecost is coming. The spirit is coming. That, the, that the, the, the tribes of Israel that we all represent have to be full and complete in order for Pentecost to fall. So while God's telling us to wait for Pentecost to fall, we've got to pick a 12th person so the Holy Spirit will have a place to land. So the Bible says that they went and cast lots, and the lots came up on a guy named Judah, uh, a guy named Joseph, and a guy named Matthias, and they they and they drew lots again, and it can and the lots landed on Matthias, and Matthias becomes the twelfth disciple that the twelve that the eleven men picked. They picked this twelfth disciple. These men picked this twelfth disciple, and we have taken this context of this story on into our Bible learning until we come across a conundrum in the scriptures because there's a guy named Paul that stands up one day and says that I am a disciple, a, a, an apostle chosen by God. So now we've got tension in the text because the 11 have picked the 12th disciple, but Paul stands up and says that I am an apostle. They picked the 12th apostle, and Paul says that I am an apostle. And the Bible says that there will only be 12 at the holy mountain according to Revelation. So now we got 13, and that's a problem because we've got, we've got the 11 that Jesus picked for sure, and we've got Matthias who man picked, and we've got the apostle Paul who says God picked me. And this is something that you've got to be careful doing along the journey of your, of, of your life when you're on your way from Passover to Pentecost. you got to be careful who you choose. you got to be careful who you choose. Because what, what has happened now is that Matthias is the choice of man. And Paul is the choice of God. And the, and the 12, 11 rather, have to deal with the flesh choice that they decided because they did not want to be minus one. When God had a man in the bush waiting for his opportunity to put his man in charge. And now we debate today who was called by God. When Paul says he's called by God, the other apostle was obviously called by man. And you've got to be careful making decisions in the pain of your flesh, in the absence of what you don't understand. I'm going to help you in here. They made a decision because they didn't understand how they would get a 12th. So they made a bad decision 
decision, all trying to make up for what they did not understand. And some of you are in this room. You ain't got to look to your left, to your right. Just look at me. You sitting next to your bad church. You brought your choice, you brought your decision to church, you brought your decision to work, you brought your decision, y'all are not talking back to me, and now you're wondering why the decision of your flesh is acting fleshy. I'm going to talk to y'all in the balcony, amen, 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 now y'all, you know, y'all don't look booed up in the balcony, I'm going to talk to y'all. Listen. We make choices and decisions in the moments of our lack of understanding. Why? So that we can fill the gap to understand. And I've got to have a man because not having a man means that I'm some kind of way not spiritual enough. And I've got to be married or I'll never walk into my pastorate because somebody, so we just grab. And the question is, who called you to make this decision? But I'm trying to get from here to there. And in order for me to get to the pastor, I got to have a wife, right? In order for me to get to the pastor, I got to have a spiritual gift, right? In order for me to get to the pastor, I've got to have, I've got to have, I've got to have what the world says I got to have. I've got to have what I think I've got to have. I've got to have, watch this, what I'm committed to believing I should have. Because God can't work if there are not 12 of us. Amen. I don't want you to walk out of this place feeling pressure to make a decision. I don't want you to walk out of this place feeling pressure to operate in decision. And one of the reasons why we make poor decisions is because not only that we're difficult and tired of waiting, but because in many regards we feel like we can never get to what God promised us without these pieces in the puzzle. And I told you that John just said, John just put it in his scripture. He said, Jesus said a whole bunch of stuff that I don't have and I haven't written down, but what you do have is enough. I don't have it all, but I got enough. Y'all are not talking back to me. And you ought to tell your neighbors every, every so often that you're going to deal with me with me. I might not have the money. I might not have all the people around me. I might not have the social cachet, but I know I'm called. And as long as I know I'm called, I'm going to walk, and I'm not going to make a bad decision about my life because I have bought into the lie that I have to have this. Amen. 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 After the cross, the third place, and the third thing they have to deal with is they have to deal with expectation. They have to deal with expectation. First, they have to deal with discernment. Secondly, they have to deal with choosing what they choose, who they choose, how they choose it. And the third challenge that you'll find on your journey is expectation. How do I deal with the expectation that's bubbling over on the inside of me? And oftentimes expectation, not being able to manage expectation causes you to make poor, poor choices and causes you to ignore discernment. How do I deal with the expectation? The Bible says that Jesus <clears throat> sat with them. He says, listen, I want you to go up into an upper room, and I want you to just begin to pray and pray that the Holy Spirit comes. And the Bible said that Jesus began to drift off, literally just float through the cloud. He started to move out from the cloud. He exited the same way the Bible says he's going to come back in, through a cloud. 
he starts to drift away. And as Jesus is drifting away, they are now wondering and left to figure out how are we going to manage the expectation. Because we know today that it took 120 days before the day of Pentecost came along. And after 120 days, or excuse me, 50 days passed, but they said it was 120 in the upper room. 50 days passed Passover. We understood that it would be 50 days. Today we understood that, but they didn't, Jesus didn't give them a date. Jesus didn't tell them, hey, on Thursday, the 50th day, the, 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 the Holy Spirit is going to fall. Which meant that they're, in their expectation, their faithfulness was being challenged. In their expectation, in their expectation, their faith in God was being challenged. In their expectation, their faithfulness to prayer was being challenged. See, there's a difference between having faith and faithfulness. God told them to go and pray and wait. The, the faith is that God is going to do what he said. The faithfulness is that I'm going to be found doing what he told me to do until he does what he says. What has God been telling you to do in the process of your waiting? Are you you anticipating and waiting so much that you stop writing when God said, I want you to write? If you, have you been anticipating so much that you stop working on yourself when God said, I want you to work on yourself while you're waiting? God said that I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, but will you be faithful doing what you are supposed to do in the process while you're waiting? And God is wanting to bless people that are ready when he shows up, but you won't ever be ready if you're not being faithful. And God, I wish I had some help in here. You cannot be ready if you're not faithful because your faithfulness is practice for your readiness. So you've got to practice being faithful so that when God shows up, you'll be ready. I need somebody that's ready to give God a shout of praise this morning. Why don't you touch your neighbor real quick and just tell your neighbor you've got somewhere to be. So you don't have time to believe the lies you're telling to yourself. You don't have time to, to dilly-dally in lies and stereotypes that halt your progress instead of propel you forward. You don't have time to not discern when the Spirit of God is moving and when he's speaking. Ooh, that was a good service. I know it was a good service, but what did he say to you? I'm tired of just having good services when God is bringing messages and direction and strategies. Don't just have a good service. Come with your ear to the ground and say, God, what are you speaking to me? Somebody shall speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. I need a word on how to wait. I need a word on how to be patient. I need a word on myself. Could it be that it's not growing because you're not growing? Could it be that it's not moving because you're not moving? Could it be that it's stagnant because you're stagnant and you are the rudder that's going to make the boat of your life go? But God is saying that you're just waiting on me to get started or you're waiting on me to close the deal. And there will be no closed deal if you cannot manage life in between time. Somebody give God a shout for your in-between. You're going to learn how to pray in-between. You're going to learn how to fast in-between. You're going to learn how to love your neighbor in-between. You're going to learn how to forgive in the meantime. It is between here and there that you build the character to stay where God is taking you. Stand up, stand up.
stand up all over this building. Give your neighbor a high five real quick and tell them when you get there, you're going to stay there. I, wrong neighbor, find your other neighbor. Tell them when you get there, you're going to stay there. Because God is going to build the, in the journey. Remain at the level he's trying to take you to. Amen. 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 It burns my heart to watch safe, spirit-filled people underachieve in this world. Spirit-filled people that's just satisfied going to heaven. They're good that I'm going to heaven. And that's not, that's not something you shouldn't be satisfied for. But you got to remember the Bible said that he created us. You are the workmanship of him that you might do what? Good works. Good works in the earth. Good works in the earth. We saved, we spirit-filled, but we the most broke people on the planet. We go into heaven and we the most unhealthy people on the planet. Y'all are not talking back to me in here. Pastor, I want to speak in tongues, dance, and shout. No, I'm trying to help you what spirituality and godliness looks like. Is that you can't be disciplined in the Holy Ghost if you ain't disciplined in your body. I know somebody didn't want to hear that. That's the word of God. Oh, but I'm thin, but you don't have your blood pressure under control. But, but I'm skinny, but you don't have your, you, 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 got, you got all kinds of stuff operating in your body that can be controlled. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-discipline. And this is the season that God ain't giving away more talent. He's not giving away more talent. We got enough in this room. We have enough talent in this room to grow this church to 5,000 members if that's what we wanted to do. The issue is not about the talent, but the issue is can we discern what God is speaking? Can we control who we choose? God, help me in this place. And can we not let the expectation be the primary dominant conversation? We got to talk about the journey. We got to talk about the journey because there will be no end if you don't understand what God is doing in the journey. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What is God doing in you in this journey? What is God doing in you in this stretch of life? Stop, don't tell me what God is doing in your wife. I don't care. Don't tell me what God is doing in your children. Well, I see God touching my child. Don't tell me what God is doing in your 